Today I'm going to start at the very end of the uh, chapter because Jesus kind of uh, gives this thing. He said, I told you all of these things so that you could have peace. And I felt it would be appropriate for us to try and understand what are all these things. And I felt like it's kind of appropriate peace. It's something right now I think at the forefront of all of our minds. Um, peace just not in the world but in our own hearts. There's a lot of things that cause a lot of stress. There's a lot of people that... There are a lot of, I've had so many conversations to work with this week with just so many people that are just worried and afraid. And uh, I, I thought it was a very appropriate and the timing couldn't be better when it comes to Jesus offering us peace. And so uh, I'm going to read John chapter 16, verse 33, and then we're going to, we'll come into uh, starting back in John 16 in a, a little bit. But I wanted to kind of start off with what Jesus said at the very end of this chapter. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's like, I said these things to you that, that in me you might have peace. Um, at the conclusion of this longer talk, you know, it's taken us numerous weeks to get through, Jesus is offering this peace. I think that's, it's, what's crazy is that what I think is very appropriate then and is appropriate now is this world is chaotic, it's crazy, and you do not have peace and we never will have peace in this world. Like ultimate peace, right? That Jesus is saying, you just, I don't just give you peace, but that peace is found in me, right? That, and I think it's uh, beautiful that it's in Jesus, in, in the relationship we have with him, in his power and presence, that we're able to experience peace in storms. Like, and, and Jesus isn't by any way sugarcoating life. He's like, you're going to have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so let's look at what are these things that he's referring to. Well, if you're here the last couple of weeks, John chapter 14 through John chapter 16, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit is coming. We talked a lot about this last week. The Holy Spirit is coming. That's something that we can find peace in. We talked a lot about this, but I think it's good to be reminded that the Holy Spirit brings comfort. He brings comfort. In fact, the relationship at this point when Jesus is saying all this, he says to the disciples, he says that the Holy Spirit is with you, right? This idea of coming alongside and being with somebody. But then he changes, and he said the relationship's going to change when I ascend to heaven. He goes, he will be in you. And so we have comfort, but we also have a connection to the God of the universe through the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, I wanted just to draw our attention to with the Holy Spirit. He said that, he, that with the Holy Spirit, we have help. He said, he, in fact, John is the only gospel writer that names the Holy Spirit the helper. He calls him the helper. And I think it's important for us to be reminded that the help that God offers is far greater than anything we can imagine because although we may not have everything we feel that we need or we might be experiencing pain and suffering that we feel we don't deserve, the help that comes from the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit is, brings healing to the bones like I've never experienced. And I, and I get that sometimes that doesn't make our situation better. But it does, I think, bring us in a relational connection with God in a way that we haven't experienced. Not only the help, but he, the help part of that is he guides us in all truth. John tells us he convicts hearts, he opens eyes, he strengthens those that are weak, he helps with our praying, he gives us convictions of wrong. 
Why that matters is because where he's telling the disciples, he will one day be in you, he will come upon you. For us as followers of Jesus, we get to experience the Holy Spirit now. He is here present. We do get to experience the power of the Holy Spirit now. He is living within us. He should bring peace. And, and just to throw this out there, if, if you are not experiencing peace as a follower of Jesus, ask. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love about God is he never forces himself on us. He is a God of invitation. He invites us in, and, he in, and we invite him to be a part. He's not, if we're wanting to run hard in our life and do our own thing and, and just run in that space, he's like, go for it. Like, there's, there's a time and place for us to invite, like, Holy Spirit, please, like, help. I need peace. I need direction. I need comfort. I need connection. So let's get into what we're going to look at this week as well. So we have the Holy Spirit is coming. John chapter 16, verse 16. I'm going to read it. We have Jesus is living. Verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, a little while, um, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that you say to us a little while and you will not see me? And again a little while you will see me because I'm going to the Father. And, because, um, and so they were saying, what does this mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew what they were, wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? I know, John just like repeats it over and over again. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she but sorrows because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, the, there's no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born in the world. So also you will sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take that joy from you. So Jesus is telling them again that he's leaving. He says it like, I, John's just like, I, I don't know if John is like literally writing this down verbatim because it kept repeating itself over and over again. Um, but he's saying, I'm leaving. Now, why is that causing confusion in the disciples? It's causing confusion because the disciples expected the Messiah to come conquer Rome and establish his kingdom. That was the expectation for the Messiah. The Messiah didn't come and then leave. And Jesus told them multiple times, very explicitly, I am leaving, I am going away, I am going to die. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. It like went over their head. In fact, uh, some gospel writers record it says they didn't remember this until after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so he's saying, I'm leaving, and you're going to be sorrowful. And they're like, they do not get it. Their expectation is that Jesus is about to to conquer, right? He has already entered in Jerusalem. He's already had his triumphal entry. People already said, Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like all of that has already taken place. And now he's telling him that he's leaving. And I like the contrast that John throws in here. He says, you will be, that, that you will be sorrowful, but the world will rejoice. Why? Because they're, they, they're going to kill me, right? He doesn't explicitly tell them that, but that is what's going to happen. But then he says, but then you will rejoice and they will be sorrowful at my resurrection, like the spirit of this world, right? The rejoicing is caused by what? Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection brings 
joy. Here's the thing. I forget this so often. I mean, it's weird because we just, it's easy to go through life and just do our thing, but like, Jesus is alive. Like, really. He's really alive. He is really living and reigning. That changes everything. No amount of pain, no amount of suffering, no amount of war can change the fact that Jesus is alive and that Jesus reigns. And he likened the sorrow that he's having to childbirth, that, that it's, it, yeah, nobody's really looking forward to it, right? It's a lot of pain, but so often that once the baby comes, there's joy and there's, um, it's, he, he even says forgotten, right? That's why you women keep having babies. You're like, right after baby, you're like, I don't want to do this ever again, right? And then we have like four, right? Whatever. So, but what is being born? What is being born? A new people. And Jesus is going to talk about the relationship changing. He has been. A new people is born. A people that is born of not just of body, but of spirit. These people that can be born again. A new kingdom where Jesus reigns that's invading the world. A new people that are in relationship with God again that, that nobody's experienced in, since the beginning of time. This new people is being born. And he said, that will bring a joy. A joy that nobody can take from you. The primary teaching of the resurrection is what we see. If we read the book of Acts, the beginning of the book of Acts, that is the primary uh, thrust of everything that they were saying. It was like, listen, Jesus is the Messiah, and he rose again. That's what got him arrested. That's what got them put in prison, and that's what got them murdered and martyred, is the resurrection. If all they said is that Jesus didn't resurrect, that would have, uh, so many wouldn't have experienced. That was the core of what they were communicating. You just read Acts 3 and 4 multiple times. It was the resurrection was the cause for all of their persecution. Now for us, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything for those that trust in him. Why? Because Jesus defeated sin and death. We are alive. For those that are in relationship with Jesus, we're alive. And that relationship with Christ is uninterrupted. No death can separate us from God. Like, all that happens, our relationship goes to a different level. Like, we are alive because of Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus is reigning. The worst that this world could bring does not stop Jesus' reign. But also, another reason that we can experience peace from the resurrection is that Jesus will restore all things. I promise you this. This world is jacked up. I think we've seen it, and we all will see it for the rest of time. But know this. Jesus is coming, and one day... He is going to change everything. He is going to change everything. Everything is going to be put back to the way it was. Everything will be restored. And so this can, should bring us peace. I'm getting like weird feedback. Um, anyway, so let's move on. John chapter 16, verse 23. Verse 23. And he says, In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly I say to you that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figure of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that, you, that, um, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I come from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. And his disciples said, 
ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. I'll sleep off right there. Um, what's interesting here is he says this relationship changes, right? The resurrection is going to change things. And he, says, and he says, ask. You've asked nothing of the Father now. Ask, ask, ask. In fact, in this little passage we just, we just read, the word ask is said six different times. Ask. Now, what's interesting is the disciples, they hadn't asked anything of the Father yet because um, Jesus was, that just wasn't the relationship they had. Jesus was telling them to start doing that. They hadn't been taught about the Father plainly, but he said, that is going to happen now. I'm going to start teaching you plainly about the Father. How? He's leaving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is opening the disciples' eyes to the Father. Jesus had been their mediator from the Father, but now he's saying, listen, you don't have to go through me to get to the Father. You can go to him directly. He's telling them that everything is changing. The relationship with God was radically changing due to the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? We see the triune God at work. Now, what's going on? This is very, very significant in the relationship that we have with God. Why? First off, let's look at just gods in general right at this time and how people understood gods. Typically, gods of ancient time were just how people like, created gods, understood God. They just took a human being and they go, well, what's better and bigger? Right? They're bigger and they're better like more powerful, they're, they're larger, right? If you see all ancient art, you see just their deity or their kings, whatever, were always a bigger picture and they were little, right? There was this different way that they viewed God. Gods were just, little Gs were just bigger and better. But what's interesting I find is that these gods were also very unpredictable and in many ways scary. They didn't know if God, their God would be happy with them. They didn't know if their God would perform the way they wanted. They didn't know they'd be struck down. Like there was this deep, like insecurity in the relationship that they had with their God. And here I think just plainly is that human beings, I think deep down, no matter what they believe, no matter what religion or worldview they have, deep down I think every human being knows that they don't measure up to whatever their God's standard is. And, and I would say that it's not like all the time, but no matter what the standard or expectation, eventually every, every human being is or feels that they don't measure up, that they don't have a place, that, that they don't do enough. So what would happen with world religions, and all, especially back then, is that these hum, humans, would, whatever their deity was, they would find ways to get as much access as they can, right? So they'd create rules and laws and traditions and ceremonies and things to be able to access their deities, right? But the challenge was is that nobody could do enough all the time, and this naturally created separation, naturally, right? There was a separation. And so often they would find uh, better, bigger uh, human beings to kind of be that mediator, they would have different levels of access. And then these people would be the priests or whatever they want to call them, shamans. They would have access to the deity. They would live a different way. They would adhere to rules in a different way, be stronger and better. So humans throughout history, when it comes to religion, always had these mediators, 
these, these separations between their deity, people that were like priests that were functioning in an in-between way. So then Yahweh reveals himself to humanity, right? And so naturally, humans would think of him as just like every other deity, a bigger, better human being. But what's interesting is God early on says, I am not like you. I am not like you. In fact, in um, Psalms 50, he says, you thought I was one like yourself, but I rebuke you, right? And in Nahum as well, I mean, he's in Numbers as well as Hosea, he says that I am not a man like you are. I am not the same. I'm just not a bigger, better version of you. I am different. In fact, God chose to define himself with a word that I think we don't fully grasp the significance. God says that I am holy. Now, you, like me, grew up thinking holy just meant like really awesome at what they do, like obeys all the rules better, like super pure, right? And sometimes it means a little bit of that, but holy means different. Holy means separate. Holy means other. Like God is not saying that I'm better. I'm holy because I'm better. He is better, obviously. He's saying, I am different, like I am so other, like I'm not even in the same, like we're not the same at all. I am holy, I am other, I am separate. And he calls us to be separate, be different, be holy, be set apart, right? That's what holy means. It means completely different. It doesn't mean better, it means, I think it's closer, means different. So this holy God we find early on existed in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. From the beginning of time, even in Genesis 1, right? We have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit was hovering on the waters. And then God said, right, the word of God, let there be light. We see God existing. And what we find in Scripture is that God, this relational God who exists in relationship we see him defined as love, which makes sense because love exists in relationship, right? I can't just, I am love like by myself, right? That's, I guess I can, but love is always something that is shared. So this relational God, this triune relational God existing in perfect harmony and per perfect relationship at some point decides to invite and create another beings to interact and experience the relationship that he has had for all of eternity, and he makes human beings. And he said, let them make, I will make them in my image. Let them make them in our image so that they can be in relationship with us and communicate something about us to the rest of the world. And we know this story. We spent a whole summer looking at this story. Humans enjoy that for a moment and then rebel and say, you know what? I actually think that you're not good. You're, you're leaving good things from me. They define good and evil on their own. They rebel against God. The world breaks. The relationship breaks. Everything changes everything changes. The world, pain, suffering, everything enters in. But this relational God still desired relationship. But what happened is the relationship changed, that now this holy, powerful, pure, other God, now in his presence, sin, imperfection, anything is absolutely destroyed. So now this God is unapproachable. There's no access there's no, that humans aren't except like they cannot be in his presence. And so in time, he chooses another people that becomes, another person becomes a people group. And 
and he creates a way for humans to begin to have this relationship with him again, that can interact in his presence, that can be around him. But it was very limited. He creates this law, he creates this temple, and what's interesting is that this holy, perfect, powerful God, this infinite presence, chooses to dwell in this tiny little room in the back of this temple, and, in, and his presence would dwell over the Ark of the Covenant and have these golden cherub, and his presence would be right there. This was the relationship that now God had. He was very separate. There was, there was a gigantic veil that was, some would say, was anywhere from six inches to a foot thick, and it separated that from this common area where the priests would go. There was a courtyard around it, and humans couldn't access God. They couldn't be around God because of his holiness. It was so pure. And he creates this law so that people can interact a little bit where they could come and speak with him. But just no one could just come before his presence. There was this deep level of separation. And so he chose a, a, a family, a, basically a tribe, to stand before him and do all the ministry of this temple. They were allowed to enter the temple. They had to live their lives a different way. They had to live their way separated. They had to live holy. They were the Levites. And they would be able to come and do chores in the common area of the temple. But only one of them, one time a year, could enter into that special place called the Holy of Holies and be before the presence of God, before the glory of God. Only one time, once a year, one human after much things. And that was it. That was it. There was no other way. And what was crazy is they'd have to go through all these ceremonies and all these sacrifices just to enter into that space. But it wasn't permanent. It didn't last. And the rest of the people had no chance. The most they could do is, if they were lived and performed and did all the ceremonies right, could get into the courtyard. That is the closest they could get to the presence and the power of God. That's the closest they could get to talk with God. They had to have priests, just like everyone else, that would mediate between them and God and between God and them. That was their intermediator. There was separation. And Jesus comes. And he changes that. And now Jesus says, you can ask God whatever you want right now. Right? Like the relationship changed. Like you don't have to go through all this. You can go right to the Father. And he said, why? Because he loves you. Like he is a faithful, good God that loves you. Like he doesn't, he's not fickle. He's not inconsistent. He doesn't even change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can go right to him. You don't even need me, Jesus said. You can go right to him. Why? Because God is listening. God is listening. He is listening to you. He hears you. He hears me. That should bring all sorts of peace. But you might be asking, well, isn't God still holy? Isn't he still in some ways dangerous if we're not dialed in? What about being, being acceptable or being worthy enough or any of these other things? I'm going to get to that in just a second. So let me just close out the text and we will finalize what we're going to talk about in regards to what changed. So John chapter 16, verse, I already read verse 28 and 29. Verse 31, Jesus says, Answer them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed, and it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. 
Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And then we get to the verse we started with. I have said these things to, to you, that in me you have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So we see that we have courage. Why? Because Jesus has overcome. What's interesting is Jesus, they're like, okay, we're finally figuring it all out. And he goes, really? Because you're going to abandon me like an hour, right? You're going to be all alone. I'm going to be alone, but I'm not alone because the Father's with me. And he tells them, listen, life's going to get hard, but I've overcome the world. So this is why Jesus can say, ask. This is why. This is what changes. Because he knows that he's going to die and rise again. He knows that his death is going to overcome the world, that it is going to bring victory. But why is that significant? Why does that matter? Why does that change anything? Here's the thing. Where human beings were separated from God, they had no access. They couldn't be good enough. Nothing was enough. That even with the one time a year, it took everything to even get to that point. And even then, there was going in with fear and trepidation. Jesus came. The God-man, he came and he entered into human existence as a human being. And all those standards and all the rules and all the laws that were, made, that were laid out by God to be perfect and to be holy and to be good enough to be in his presence and to be acceptable, Jesus did perfectly everyone. He performed the law perfectly, holy, everything necessary. And the Bible tells us that when we trust Jesus, he gives us that track record of perfection, of righteousness. I know you don't feel perfect, but that's how God sees us because of Christ. Jesus secured our worthiness, our acceptability. He has secured it for anybody that wants it. You don't have to take it. You can keep trying on your own. You can keep trying to be good enough and be awesome enough. You can try it. But Jesus offers you a better way. But not only that, Jesus not only came, but Jesus died. You see, human beings' inadequacy of not being able to perform, not being able to do all that God required, are trying and missing. It's called sin. We miss it. But Jesus came, and in his perfection, he lived. He secured a righteousness. But when he went to the cross, he paid our penalty, our consequence for not living up to God's standard. He paid for it, and he died, and he was judged. In fact, Jesus is interesting here. He says, you're going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone, but I have the Father, right? But what happened on the cross? Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was separated from the Father. He was alone. He was separated from the Father so that we would no longer have to be. So we would no longer have to be alone. And he died and he rose again and he paid our penalty. So now he secured forgiveness. Not forgiveness just for the stuff that I did, but forgiveness for the things I'm going to do. Like we know that when we start following Jesus, it's not like we quit sinning, right? I think we become more aware. Listen, people be sinning. It's, it's part of the reason why this world is jacked up, right? But Jesus offers forgiveness and he offers access right? We're acceptable, but he also gives us access. So now we don't have to hide from God. We don't have to wonder if God is going to strike us dead. This is why prayer is so awesome. This is why Jesus is saying, ask of the Father. Matthew chapter 7 says this, 7-7 seven, seven says, ask 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks is opened. Of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, or just not holy and perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts or good things to those who ask? That's how God sees you. Like, we as parents, we all struggle, right? None of us will be like, I am the best parent in the world, right? Nobody feels that way. Well, if you do, congratulations, you're the only one, right? But Jesus is saying, listen, even you who are not great at being a parent, know how to give good gifts to your kids. You, why? Because you love them. If they ask, like, I'm starving, and you're like, here's a rock, like, chew on that. Like, he's like, Jesus is like, nobody does that, right? You, if your kids are hungry, you give them food. If they ask for something, you don't give them dangerous. Like, you don't give them a scorpion. Like, if you are, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give good gifts to you? Which leads to the question that might be in your back of the mind. I've asked for a lot of things from God, and he never gave me any of those. They might not have been good, Right? God is good, and he desires to give good gifts. Why? Because we, in our text today, because he loves you. He loves you. So he's, Jesus is saying, come and ask. You don't have to hide. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be like, I don't deserve it. Like, come and ask. Just like, I love, I love especially young kids. They're unafraid of asking for anything. You're like, can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And you're like, no, 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 no. Like, especially when you're at the store, right? But here's the thing. God wants us to be, I would, here's what's crazy, is we don't do that. I don't do that. I don't ask for anything and everything from God. But I, I, God's heart is that we would, like God. Because what's happening is we're looking at him with dependence and need and desire. And, and it's our mindset is understanding that God is the one that gives good gifts. And that he is the one that needs to give that. It's recognizing that he is the giver of good. So we can ask for anything and everything. And he might say no. But I guarantee you that anything that we need and all that is good, he gives it. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, who there is no changing, right? Let me close in this last verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, and I quote this all the time, but now you know the reference. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everything's changed. What this is saying is that we can cruise right through the temple. The veil that was separating the Holy of Holies from the rest, the Bible tells us when Jesus died, it tore in two. It's no longer there. We can walk right up to the mercy seat, right up to the Ark of the Cup, right where the presence of God is, and we can ask with confidence. It's called the throne of grace. And we can ask, and I love the order, to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve, okay? So you may be like, I can't do that. I've done all this and I've done all that. Go to the throne. That's where the mercy's at. You don't get what you deserve, Jesus got what we deserved, right? So we can come boldly with confidence and come and say, I need mercy. But what else did we get? Grace to help in time of need. What's grace? Grace is not, it's getting something we don't deserve, right? It's good gifts. We don't deserve it. He gives it to us. So we're able to go to God and receive 
things that we don't deserve and not get what we do deserve. And he tells us to go with confidence. Confidence. Why? Because Jesus has paid our penalty and Jesus has secured our access. So this, my prayer, and my hope, can remind us of things to bring us peace. That you have the Holy Spirit that is connecting us and, and comforting and helping. That you have Jesus as alive, the King that reigns. And you have a Father that is listening to you. He hears you. You may have had a terrible dad. He is not like your dad. He loves you, and he's listening, and he is, you have access to him. You don't have to hinder anymore. So with that, the worship being come up, we're going to close with communion. This is a great, this is a great example of everything we're talking about. You can come to the table and receive the bread and the juice. You can, the juice